for Good Day Melbourne is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about the fourth episode of the final season of The Leftovers. We are uh, we are officially halfway through here, which is terrifying to talk about, uh, but we will be talking about it all with Antonio Mazzaro and myself. We are hoping to give you a few aha moments during this podcast, Antonio. I see what you did there. I hear what you did there. I heard it multiple times in tonight's episode. How are you, Josh? I am doing really well. I'm ready to take on this podcast as we are talking about Kevin and Nora's great adventure uh, through Australia. I guess it's their terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I guess I'll go to Australia episode. Wow. A uh, very special episode of The Leftovers. I'm, I'm honestly, I don't know if you can hear it. I'm depressed, man. Like for a show that trades and markets itself in that depression zone, I'm especially depressed after tonight's events. I can't say we didn't see it coming, but uh, it's certainly not the sort of thing that was really fun to watch yeah. in terms of that last scene. But yeah, we can, uh, we'll have to take, I was trying to think of another aha joke. I don't know of any other aha song. So oh, and you would, you would be the guy of the two of us who would know. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not a big music guy. You're much more into music than I am. I mean, to say like, I'm not a big music guy. That sounds like I'm not a human being, right? Like you can't like not be into music and be alive. I mean, that, listen, if music be the food of love, play on or whatever they say. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. You're a music guy. You like some music. But uh, but The Leftovers has really always operated. I don't know. Somebody is tapping into my brain sometimes, I feel like, when they're putting music on this show. And I've, I, I don't mean to make this about me. I said it last season. It's just the music selections on this show are incredible. Tonight was no exception. Do you know we'll what, get- the, what the opening song was in the opening credits this night? I only heard. I mean, I heard that it was Ray Lamontagne. I wasn't sure exactly. I mean, I could recognize his voice, but uh, I think the uh, sounded like the, breakup music is what I'm. Yeah, the to motif. Say. I mean, the the title of the yeah. song is very much in keeping with that. I mean, I don't know if you caught everything that was going on there, but the title of the song is "This Love Is Over." Yeah, according to Wikipedia, that's already up there. Uh, tough. <laughs> that's difficult. That's very difficult. So we're going to talk about the difficulty that Kevin and Nora faced. In this episode, I'm a little bit broken up as well here, Antonio, as I know that you are and as at least for the moment Kevin and Nora are. Thank God for that uh, that final scene of the first episode of season three, like you said, that really did at least prepare us for the fact that like at some point in the future, Nora is going to pretend to not know what a Kevin is. So we were braced for something like this. Uh, doesn't make it any easier to watch. I'm feeling uh, maybe more hopeful than you are, potentially, Antonio, and hopefully I will be able to spread some of that hope to some of you guys who are feeling really depressed after watching this fourth episode of the final season of The Leftovers. Just some business before we really dive into this. This is our Sunday night reaction show. We do two podcasts. As you guys know, if you've been following along, if you have not been following along with our coverage, welcome aboard. You should go back and listen to our other stuff. We already have a ton of podcasts about the third season and the final season of The Leftovers. But we do a reaction show after the episode on Sunday nights, and then later in the week, we do a feedback show. That feedback show is going to be recording on Thursday night this week, which means plenty of time for you to get your feedback in and plenty of ways to get that feedback to us. We have an email address, leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. We have a feedback form at postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You could always hit Antonio and I up on Twitter. He is at AC Mazzaro, and I am at Round Howard. And to make sure you never miss an episode, you want to subscribe, postshowrecaps.com 
patreon.com slash leftovers iTunes is the way to subscribe on iTunes. Any other form of podcast, you can get to us at postshowrecaps.com slash feed slash leftovers. Anything I'm missing, Antonio, before we dive into this episode? No, very thankful to everyone who has left reviews, who has sent feedback, who has tweeted at us, who, who has, has left leftovers. Yes, leftovers at post show. I've been using that email address to sign up for everything. Every time anywhere online asks me for an email address, I've just been using that one. I don't know uh, if we're going to get any negative feedback on that, but so far, so good. So far, so good. Uh, okay. You don't want to. You don't want to give people a way to track you down, Josh. No. Like you don't want people to know everything about you. It's good to have like a throwdown email address. It is good. Uh, it is good to know that. And if so, just tell them you are at the Melbourne Library, and just make sure you don't give that information to any possible crazy people because uh, they will really track you down and it will be very awkward uh in light of that perfect segue i have doxed myself previously and noted that i live in melbourne kentucky uh That's and right. there's no library in melbourne kentucky i have a lot of books i'm kind of thinking my house is the melbourne library i think that might be it i think that might be it i i would love to hear again from uh, our australian listeners uh i've always wanted to go to australia have you ever been to australia antonio I have not. I would love to go. I would love to go. And I really like just like being there in this episode. Like it seems like a cool city, Melbourne. Uh, and I love like that, uh, that bird's eye view of the library. Is that really, is that like a real thing? It really looks uh, very Dan Brown in there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it does. There's a lost key. Has Nicolas Cage been to that library, Josh? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd like to know. I don't know what the Melbourne, uh, what the Australian equivalent of the Declaration of Independence is. So I'm just going to make myself sound like more of an idiot as I stumble through that point but here but, we go but listen yeah we need we're, we need we're Australia. This off. we're pushing this off as much as we can we don't want to talk about mommy no. and daddy fighting as alex coons pointed <laughs> out on twitter <laughs> yes this is uh two just uh normal men uh talking about normal things so that we don't have to confront the issues about so we don't have to talk about love. normal durst uh, right exactly yeah. no I, I just want to say you said we need to hear from our australian listeners i think i counted we need australian listeners do we need finnish listeners is that what the doctors were speaking uh we need listeners who are conversant in the Quran or at least in terms of uh, that verse that was on uh, the the sign that fake Evie was holding there's what a lot that? of Sarah 81 82? yeah yeah some 41 something like that some we need... 41 yeah no number, uh, number 41 by DMB no it was Sarah 81 See, I know and, my music and yeah, and there you go. See, I know my right DMB. On that. Yeah, uh, yes, and that's kind of a little bit of a deep cut. So you're in, but uh, it would be kind of great. Number forty one by DMB is the first song that was my first Kiss song. How about that? How about how about that for some Josh Wiggler trivia right now? Is that too much info? Is that too <laughs> Was that was that was that over the line? Was I was that just far? letting you fill the silent space. People, Ooh, let's talk really about awesome. the leftovers. Josh, let's talk about what happened. Shout here. out to Katie Chabs. All right, so let's <laughs> talk about this episode. No of, doxing. We have a no doxing policy. No, yeah, that wasn't the actual name. It's totally fine. Uh, let's talk about this episode of the leftovers. So yeah, so Kevin and Nora broke up. <laughs> that was that was difficult. That was tough. That was hard. That was a challenge to watch. As I said, we have seen it coming. Uh, the, the the writing on this show is incredible in a lot of ways. But I love, and I'm there, I was vindicated in another moment we'll talk about later in this episode, but I love that the logical through line that these characters experience in terms of their actions and their thoughts and their words is evident not only in the moments of this episode, but in terms of the way the characters behave throughout the series. So we saw last season an episode that is, or, or a moment that is mentioned by Kevin at the beginning of this big confrontation scene in the hotel room at the end. And he is saying, no, we can't talk about everything because last time I told you about the big problem in my life, like the number one thing, you handcuffed me 
sweet to a bed and you disappeared. You left. Right, right. And so I I have this thing that is important to me. Things have happened in my life and you're mocking them. Like you're you're making light of them and you can't confront them and you don't want to and you don't want to deal with that and I think that speaks to greater problems in you so we have seen the very moments that these characters are bringing up in their fight and that's TV writing like they're going to reference things that happened before but I love that the weight of a scene a random scene from uh, and, and moment from season two like let's say episode six or seven where Kevin has this confrontation or this moment with Nora that's the same episode I think it's lens I think it's episode six where Nora has herself had this really rough go of it throughout the entire episode and then Kevin dumps that on her at the end so of course that's how she reacts but I absolutely love that this is a thing that matters because it seemed like at the end of season two it certainly seemed like hey maybe these people can have a happy ending right like Kevin home you're home homeward bound that's all he was thinking of was his family his great wish at the end of season one when he talked to your boy Holy Wayne was for his family (laughs) Uh, and that's your boy Holy Wayne trolling me like a guilty remnant right trolley Wayne that's what I'm doing (laughs) so yes so at the end of the day like this has always been what he wanted he just just wanted this normalcy. This is what Kevin Sr. says to him. Like, this is enough when in the Garvey's at their best. Like, you having a family, being happy, like, this is it. This is all you need. And it seems like Kevin Garvey Jr. at this point in his life feels that way, and Nora clearly has a lot more issues. She has a suit of armor on a lot of the time, but it's protecting somebody who is pretty damaged and broken on the inside, and who wouldn't be in her scenario? But uh, but yeah, it's not... we don't want to take sides here, you know. No, like, I'm not taking sides. Yeah, absolutely not. Like very she... important to note, these guys they they both have their business going on, right? And the business that they have going on, it's the kind of business that would make it very difficult for either of them to be in a healthy relationship, right? I would think so. I mean, yeah. they, they're they're both dealing with a lot. Kevin, you know, coming to grips with the with the reality that like maybe maybe there is something weird and special about me. And like the the scene where he's reading the book and the music is coming through that we've been hearing, you know, mostly in like Reverend Matt scenes. Uh, I forget the name of the song. Um, but, you know, it's it's just it's a great moment of him like reflecting on like reading somebody else's view of the incredible phenomenon that he has been through. Uh, all of the stories of him going and pushing Patty down the well and everything like that. And I think that we're watching in him a guy who's coming to grips with like there is something happening here and I don't feel comfortable talking about it with the person who is supposed to be my partner in crime that's a really 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 difficult spot meanwhile nora is is i mean she was gonna do it you know she was gonna go through the machine that i at least that's my interpretation of it you know she's talking about how like they they knew that i knew they were a fraud and i'm gonna bust them down and i'm gonna i'm gonna catch these guys and i'm gonna bust it but she's saying that after the fact and the passion and the energy and the rage and the emotion that she is feeling in that final scene when the doctors are fleeing and she is just so livid and furious and screaming after them and desperate it's a stinky cologne so much so that you can smell it through your television um nora was gonna go i think do you disagree with that I'm not sure that she was going to go, but I think that she wasn't sure if she was going to go. It's, I definitely... not, it's at least not cut and dry. Right, like right. It's at least not you know like some undercover operation where she's going to try to bust these people definitely. Like she's at least leaving herself uh, a little bit of leeway to you know really pursue this thing all the way down the line. Yeah. Regar- yeah, but... Regardless, it is, it is demonstrative of the fact that 
she is deeply broken about the departure of her children. Forget her husband. That guy was a douche. But, like, the kids, that sucks. And she is real. And she's been wearing that all series long. Right. Um, but, you know. Sometimes as a Kevlar vest. Sometimes as a Wu-Tang Clan tattoo. Right. Uh, you know, she's been wearing it for a very, very long time. And it's been front of mind on this season for sure. You would think that maybe, you know, the the three years that she has had in between season two and season three would push her a little bit further away from that. And I think that you get that moment of desperation from Kevin in this episode, too, where it's like, when are you going to get over it? And she's like, get over what? You know, it's you know, it's it's not something that you get over. So these two people are dealing with these incredible circumstances individually, and they have just really never been able to talk it through with each other. Uh, One of the things I feel like we've been tracking, maybe we have been talking a lot about, but certainly that's been something that's been really present on the show. It's like any time that they're about to have like an actual conversation, like an actual emotional conversation, they just bone instead. Uh, You see that in the first episode of this season when Kevin is finally going to confront front her about like how are you feeling about lily and the moment he starts bringing that up they just you know like Nora makes a move on him and they just start having sex instead uh you get that in this episode too like rather than really explain immediately what the twenty thousand dollars is for how about we just have sex in an airport bathroom and kevin says in this episode like we never talk we never talk about anything um both of them have really been resisting that though i get the sense that kevin is a little bit readier to talk about things uh at least with somebody if not necessarily nora i think probably not nora and that's a huge part of the frustration because she doesn't seem to believe in the very possibility of any sort of magical mumbo jumbo anything or the fact that kevin sincerely believes he has seen people who are dead um it's all very complicated it feels a little bit uh like i could see on first glance how it could feel a little bit out of nowhere in this episode this final scene of the episode between these two and they just really have this hard breakup this huge argument this big explosive thing i really do think that even if the scene itself kind of comes a little bit as a jarring scene not a jardin scene it's a melbourne scene even though it comes (laughs) a little bit harshly and maybe it feels like it's a little bit out of nowhere i do really feel like we've been we've been building to this for a while and this kind of explosion it really does feel like it's a little bit inevitable yeah, let us not forget the uh, everyone's favorite quote unquote final scene between Kevin and Jill. They talk about how he and Nora don't talk. Like that is the subject of their conversation. And it is a thing we saw, as I said, that continues from season two. And this is a guy who, as you're observing, probably really needs to talk. Uh, what happens, of course, is he's, as you point out, in that great scene where he's going through the book of Kevin and he's having these flashes before his eyes. R.I.P. Book of Kevin, by the way. R.I.P. Book of Kevin. Kevinism uh, on life support at this point. Yes, we're going yes. to we're gonna have to see where that goes. We'll talk about that. Isn't I'm sure, it this nice, week. though, when we're wrong? I, I, you know, if, oh, I hope we're wrong. You know, I, I we'll would love see. to be wrong. Listen, the same people's desperate brains who created the Book of Kevin in the first place can recreate the Book of sure, Kevin as totally. far as I'm concerned. I agree. I agree. So who knows how many biblical texts were lost and then found again. Uh, but what I will say is he, him reading that book is what triggered him. He reads the book. Then he sees the scene of Kevin's on TV. Then he sees Nevi in the crowd. 
and it is following the through line of the person he does call when he needs problems, who, by the way, or when he needs help with his problems, who, by the way, talks him out of his psychotic break. But that person, Lori, basically says, like, look, man, you had a psychotic break in part because I think that you understand why she left her family. Like, you get that there's a thing that you need to pursue or that there's some other thing that's in your life. Like, there's something else that matters to you. And... Lori can sense right away that there's something wrong with he and Nora like uh, that is part of it. So but he gets triggered by looking at that book, by seeing the things that happen on TV. Then and only then does he see fake Evie in the crowd after all that has happened. So that's a big part of, of what's going on for him is all this. These major things are happening in real time for him and things that happen in the past for him. And he's his ride or die. The person that matters the most to him in the world, theoretically, he can't talk to about it. Uh, look. If Kevin Kevin can't swing a dead cat around without hitting four or five people who would love to hear him talk about his visions. But he doesn't want talk, to talk to them. He wants to talk to her. 100%. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't tough. matter, though. He's got those people in his life, and he doesn't really want to use them. Yeah. Uh, Lori rightly observes, when you needed help, you called me. Like, you thought I could help. So I think he does love recognize. I that dynamic, by the way. I yeah, really, so do I. I love the, the ex-Garvey. You know, like, I love, I love Kevin and Lori's relationship. All exes should have to this level of camaraderie. Uh, yeah, I, all exes should aspire to uh, getting rehitched to John Murphy. Like, that's a pretty good deal, I think. <laughs> and not all for... exes, because I'm sure that there are some who just should never speak again. Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, and also John Murphy shoots people and has a lot of issues. But yeah, but he no, seems that's... like a pretty good dude these days. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody seems like a good dude these days, but people are still processing their shit, and that's a major part of what's going on in this deal with Nora and Kevin, right? As Nora is, we're talking seven years out from the departure, and I'm not saying that she should have gotten over it, quote-unquote, like Kevin did by now. Because how could you ever, quote-unquote, get over a thing? You don't get over something like that. It isn't a hurdle that you have to clear and then you move on. Like a like you cleared some like section of a video game never to be visited again. It doesn't work that way. This is life. Like She's going to keep that around with her forever. And it's only a matter of like maybe refocusing her life in a way that includes that, but includes it in the way that other people carry grief around. Like It's part of you. It's something that you process. You might even deal with it on a daily basis. But you find joy and love in the other things in your life. And I think the issue with Kevin is he's not seeing that with he and Nora. Like, she, he wants to have another child. Like, he's okay with that. And he is, in a very inarticulate way, saying, like, maybe you don't want another kid because you don't want to change. Like, you don't want to move on from this part of your life. You don't want to leave that behind. And part of it for Nora maybe. She doesn't want to leave it behind because hanging on to the very memories that she has and what little bit she has is all she has. Like, that's what it is. That's all she has of her kids now are these memories and are the things that she's carrying around. And I think she's worried that moving on from that means letting them go completely. And it doesn't have to be that way. But clearly, she probably needs some help to talk through a lot of this stuff and isn't getting it. And they're not giving it to each other. And that's a major problem. Uh, you mentioned that you thought maybe she was ready to get into the box. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, I, I will say my take was that I'm not sure that she knew uh, that deep down she maybe did want to get into the box when she got into the actual box in this episode. 
she, unlike other people, had no issues with her heart rate. She was very perfectly calm, content. Very calm. Heart. Very calm. And when she is discussing all these things, when she's in that weird uh, dry cleaner slash costume shop slash warehouse, um, we hear John and Lori talking, and we hear Lori in voiceover over Nora's face saying, she's ready to go. Right. And she's talking about the woman who was in a coma, who the guy that John was talking to was married to. But, but that juxtaposition is not an accident. Not an accident. It's playing over Nora's face. So whether or not we've really hit it uh, 100% here. We've talked about it a lot, about how Kevin and Nora really aren't on the same page. When they had sex in the episode, the first thought that occurred to me, and I texted this out uh, to a couple people, or at least uh, I texted it out, was was that it, it, it they just never confront their problems. They just fuck them away, pardon yeah, my French. That's all right. And, um, yeah, we'll have to put a spoiler alert on that one. But ultimately, <laughs> that's what they do is – they just, they just, as you said, they just confront these things in that way without getting past that surface level. Uh, and that's not real intimacy. Physical intimacy is not the same as emotional intimacy. And as far as emotional intimacy and emotional vulnerability, Kevin's not permitted to show any of that to Nora. And Kevin is not really, uh, I don't think, accepting of why that might be an issue and how they should confront that proactively. And he does need a person like Lori in his life to help him. But I think Lori just assumes that Nora is going to be able to take it all on because Nora does project this very, I'm with it, I'm in your face, like I'm in control, I'm positive, I'm dominant. And we've seen even from this season, Nora Durst, the when she says hello to Erica when she goes to her house after all the incidents in St. Louis and Kentucky she's almost like it's just the most childish weak pathetic voice and it's really a great performance by Carrie Coon but it speaks to the vulnerability that Nora has that she doesn't show to everyone and she certainly doesn't show it to Kevin so the good news in all of this uh Antonio is there's I, good I, news yeah I, I think that there is uh I I feel very very uh good about the fact that I think that this is going to be okay I I think that Kevin and Nora are going to figure this out uh I I think that we're going to be all right here how so? I just I feel like I, I hate to I, I tweeted this at Alex Koontz, who who had reached out to us, as we mentioned earlier. Like, please tell us mom and daddy are not going to be fighting forever. Please tell us this is the darkest timeline that we're never going to get darker than this. I think that not to you know, I hate to keep ringing the lost bell. Uh, but for those of you who did not watch Lost, it has a very sappy ending. And it really the, the ending of Lost essentially just like thematically like it's very lovey dovey. Uh, Damon Lindelof is a romantic at heart, Antonio. I think so that am the, I. I and so and so am I. I I think that I think that there's no there's no way that like the grand final theme of this show uh, is is like the separation of people who have deep love for each other. I think it's the realization of finding love and happiness and holding on to what is here in front of you while still honoring what's gone and coming to peace with the fact that maybe you'll never understand why the thing is gone, but the thing is gone and you can still love and cherish that thing while loving and cherishing the things in front of you. After this episode, Antonio, I'm feeling more confident than ever that we are not just seeing old lady Nora in the future. I think that we're going to see old man Kevin, and I think we're going to see a reconciliation between these two. Old man Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, yeah, we've I, talked about this. I really I really feel that way. I real I really think that like for for us to plummet this down and into the depths, like this far down into the depths and to know that we were going this way based on the ending of the book of Kevin episode 1 of this season and knowing that Nora is going to reject the very notion of what a Kevin is. 
I really can't imagine that this show, as dark and depressing as it is at times, is going to end on that consistent note. I think that we'll end on an upswing, and I feel like to, to, to get to that emotional high, you have to hit an emotional low. I feel like this is the emotional low. I, I, fair enough. I hope you're correct. Uh, I will take issue with one thing you said, which is that these two people are deeply in love with each other. And I'm not sure I, I could accept that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I can accept it. I'm not sure that we've seen real evidence of that on this show. What we've seen, I really? think, is... I think, yeah, I, feel they, like we, I think that their chemistry has been so palpable. And I mean, like that can just be like you know sexual chemistry, uh, like yeah, attraction. I'll, I'll, I'll point out the first time that it happened, you were like, these two people are super hot. They should be having sex. Like, that's what you <laughs> yeah, said. Yeah, that's right. So that is, that is a big part of it, for sure. There's no question about that. But... And I think all those things and that you're talking about... And you do see them about, default to that when, you know, an emotional conversation is supposed to be had, that they really do just, like, hop into the sheets. Right. And not to mention, they kind of hopped into the sheets of Jarden, Texas, uh, out of nowhere. Like, they were together for a very brief time in Miracle. They, they came together because they were both filing for court things together about their previous lives. Like, Kevin was filing with Meg or with uh, Lori's divorce papers, and Nora was filing to officially declare her family dead so she could move on in some other way. Like, they were at court basically on a rebound. And they rebounded together. And then for whatever reason, they grabbed a baby off of a front porch and moved to Texas. And that is a slightly indelicate way of putting it. But that is 100 percent what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And when they got to Texas, like this big thing was going on with Kevin and he never told her about it. And when he then told her about it, they fell apart and they only fell apart and got back together. They got back together after all these crazy things happened with Kevin. We missed. We yada yada, Josh, the, the love part. We yada yada them actually having a quote unquote happy relationship like with Simon and Garfunkel feeling groovy like we yada yada through all of that. And we ended up three years later. Kevin's working. He seems like he's over the patty thing. Nora's disappearing on a bike. We don't really know where she's going. She's got a broken wrist. That isn't good. Like that's where we picked up this season. So where we picked up the season is things weren't great. Like, they weren't normal, quote-unquote. Uh, and I think we're finally starting to pull back the layers of that. And and the characters themselves haven't pulled back the layers of it. I just don't know that we've seen on the show that they were deeply in love with each other. I to think me, they were two me, ships yeah. passing no, in the night. I, yeah. Two ships passing in the night. I wouldn't quite say any port in a storm, but, I mean, that's the scenario, is there's a storm going on, and perhaps quite literally in this season, like, there's a storm going on. These two people found each other through all of that, we never really saw the foundational aspects of their relationship beyond the physical intimacy. Uh, and the fact that Nora Durst was a quote-unquote ride or die. We thought the fact that they, that they could confess crazy things to people. Because at one point, Kevin says, like, well, uh, I dug up a body, like, and uh, I did this thing. Uh, and Nora Durst is like, oh, I, used to, I used to have people shoot me, you know? like, So they, they have exposed some dark secrets. And I think we've interpreted that, that level of vulnerability, quote-unquote, as like a deep abiding love, but I don't think we ever really saw the foundation of their relationship. To me, um, it's at its most emotionally vulnerable and honest at the very, very end of season two. What could have been the final episode of The Leftovers when Kevin Gutshot returns home after all of the trauma that has happened in Jarden and sees his entire family in the house and Nora says, you're home. 
to me, that really does like that in the in the wake of such a traumatic day, uh, in the wake of Nora protecting Lily from a stampede, in the wake of everything that happened there, and seeing the sight of Kevin in that moment. To me, and maybe that's just the hopeless romantic in me, that feels like a confession of love. That feels like an honest, you're home, and this is home, and we are home together. And I think that the further away you get from a big dramatic moment, you can lose sight of those things. That's and think, true. And I think that you can start getting drawn back into the vortex of your dread and your depression and the things that you've lost and really fixating back on that stuff. I think that that's like kind of, sadly, I think that that's kind of natural human behavior. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see how it bears out i really do think that these two people love each other and i think they're going to figure it out i really hope so i i'm not uh i'm not in any way taking issue with that because i as a fan of lost remember how lost ended and i i think of a uh, when i i'm having a hard time conceptualizing what i feel like would be an appropriate ending for this series and i think that's a good thing in that i don't really have significant expectations i think they've done a good job of managing the expectations but part of that is when you do write and 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 shoot and edit and do everything with the season two finale, not knowing if you're getting a season three, you have to do what Parks and Recreation did, like five seasons, which is make a finale that would serve as both a season and series finale. And I do think The Leftovers did that. And so I think that you're right. Season two does end on a happy note. In part because that might have been the last episode of the series. So we got to find a way to stick that landing emotionally and make that work for the season and the series. And then we come back and we have to do season three. And I think intelligent writers, which these people clearly are, sit down in that writer's room and they think about, like, what is in play for season three, both from a narrative and emotional standpoint. And when they looked at the emotional aspects of this, I think Damon Lindelof got into this a little bit on that Vulture, on that, not on the Vulture podcast, on the Watch podcast with Andy Greenwald where he talked about how ultimately like these are two people that we haven't really seen the blow by blow of like we don't really know where their relationship is grounded like where all the best elements of it are I'm not sure what words he used but the gist that I took away from that maybe that was my interpreting what he was saying was that ultimately like there were things with Kevin and Nora that were unexplored and when they started exploring them I I think this is the path they ended up on like these are two people that were deeply flawed and that they never really got on point in terms of of comparing those flaws, discussing them, getting support for them. There was support in a nominal sense in that she's there when he comes home, in that he is a, a pretty stand-up, reliable, morally-centered guy. But the, the fact is, like, the issue with his support being fleeting was an issue for her. And I want to use this to transition a little bit. Uh, and not the conversation, because Kevin and Nora is clearly the main point of this episode. But I, I want to talk to you about, ultimately... Where we feel the Nora character is, Kevin clearly, as you point out, when he's reading through the book, he has some memories of of all these things that are happening. The music that's playing indicates these aren't horrible memories. This is almost a spiritual thing for him. Like He's thinking of these major life events that happened to him, and he's unwilling to dismiss them as totally like one thing or another. So he does not have a closed mind like Nora does. Nora is the ultimate skeptic. She's a fraud investigator. Like, that is her primary characteristic. And I think in part because... She doesn't want to get that taken away from her. Like, she doesn't want people to be trading on this horrible thing that happened to her in, like, in forest and in trees level. Like, in 10-foot view and on 1,000-foot view, the departure happened to everyone, and it really happened to her. So she doesn't like people uh, trading on that. And Kevinism would be trading on that in her mind. And in reality... 
Kevin has had some serious mental issues. They're probably genetic. His dad has problems too, but maybe they're not. Like, how do you explain the fact that he, all these things happen to him? And Kevin himself can't explain it, and I do think he's a little open to it. Nora seems closed off to it. My question is this. We have Nora where she is right now. With in terms of her, when we're when we're thinking she might have gone into the box, like she wasn't even sure, like she's ready to go, whatever it is. If we see Nora at the end of this series and we arc that out, and maybe she's come around, although she's still denying Kevin at that point. As you're pointing out, maybe she's denying him because she's hiding him, and they're happy happy together ever after in Australia, off the grid, whatever. But if she's still denying him at that point, what is her arc? And could her arc ever include her embracing that she has some mysticism about her, that she has some spirituality about her? She has said, I'm Nora Cursed. If Kevin is the Christ, is she going to embrace that she's the Antichrist or is she going to come back around on some level? And is that her ultimate struggle for the rest of this season? Yeah, well, first of all... um, you know, I don't necessarily think, like, even even if I think that this show is going to have an ultimately happy ending, like an ending where, like, you're ultimately going to realize that what you're looking for is right in front of you. I don't think that it necessarily means that, like, she's hiding Kevin or, like, they're having some sort of secret life. Like, I think that it could be as simple as, like, these two people finding each other again, and that could be, like, a final scene, um, something like that. Uh, I think, and I, and I don't know, like, I want to, I, I know that it's, like, really, really tempting to look at Kevin as the Christ-like figure and Nora as the Antichrist-like figure, but I don't want to look at Nora that way all the time. I think that maybe there could be something special to Nora that isn't going to be quite that dark, uh, but I do think that Nora, un- unless you think that the Sarah Durst scene at the end of the first episode is Nora in the place where everyone else departed to. And I'm, I'm inclined not to think that way just because I feel like that's, that's going to be so odd. But, I mean, you know, they can find a way to make that land. So that's not closed off. But let's just say that it's our Earth. It's our world. It's still right here. She either hasn't left Australia or she chose, like, I'm going to resettle here permanently. Um, I do think that part of her arc has to be acceptance. You know, if this show is about grief, then what's the final stage of grief, right? Like, it's acceptance. Uh, So I I think that that's something that's in the cards for her, for sure. I think that that's where we're going to go. I just don't know exactly how we get there. Certainly, even if she was ready to step into the machine, Antonio, the people who own the machine are not so interested in Nora stepping in, or at least that's the way that they present it in this episode, which is interesting because, and to tie it back to crazy white fella thinking last week's episode, nice to see some connection to that man who set himself on fire. That's the guy who tells Kevin Sr. that uh, would you would you kill a, a baby if it meant you know that that somebody could grow up and cure cancer and Kevin Senior's like no and the guy's like I couldn't do that either and he's the guy who's saying they wouldn't accept me they wouldn't accept me I think we can now take that that is a guy who was going through this process as well and he failed but he gave a different answer than what Nora gave these people that has me scratching my head a little bit is there just like no pleasing these people is it about the way that you're justifying your decision I'm still I'm still wondering, uh, you know, about all of that and and why Nora gives a different answer than the Burning Man, and they are both cast out. Why are these people both cast out? Is there no right answer? Is there no wrong answer? How do you pass that? You know, how do you how do you defeat that troll's riddle? You know, like how do you get past that and cross the bridge? I don't get it's, it. 
Is that Trolley Wayne again? Yeah, Indeed. I don't know. Ultimately, uh, is, it, is it a scenario where they break people down emotionally and then they call them back in like 10 days and they're like, okay, we changed their mind just so they can make sure they get people into the machine? Like, it certainly seemed like Nora was ready to give them the money, like almost instantly. So it could be that they backed off because they knew she was a fraud investigator. They knew that about her. They knew about Kevin. They knew everything about her. And when she was answering their questions in the way that she was and in the way that they were addressing them, because remember, the baby question is part of the same Q&A where the silent doctor or the Finnish doctor, however you want to call her, uh, the, the hater, she's like hating and Finnish from the side and basically says like, uh, oh, well, she doesn't think that she thinks you're going to get cold feet. She thinks you're going to get back out but she thinks you're going to back out. Is that reverse psychology? Like, that's my question. That's certainly what occurred to me as we were watching. Like, maybe there's some element of reverse psychology here and maybe they really are saying like no you know you're going to back out like you're not going to do it we know you're not and ultimately the plan is to get the money but Nora was really trying to give them the money throughout so maybe they got a little spooked by that I don't know it's also possible that that question is not part of it like that that there is some other element in play and it's only one question keep in mind so the question could be a formality or it could be that your answer to that question really does in terms of not what you say, but how you say it. It's your approach, not necessarily your answer, because we do see two very different answers with the same result. Neither of the people are given the opportunity. Nora's um, not very empathetic with her answer. Like It's a really like cynical, like, yeah, of course, kill the baby. Right. And we, the other guy and Kevin Garvey, a senior, when they pondered the question, says, no, you don't kill the baby. Like, And of course, that's a very interesting. Nora Durst herself, right, is a purveyor of these broad, odd questions that can mean multiple things to different people. And that the reading into both the way the question is asked and the way it's answered can impact the way that the person who's asking the question views the person who's answering it. This is Nora's job. Like, we've seen her doing this there's an entire episode where the plot of the episode is her asking one of these weird would you rather uh, questions in a way that is not appropriate and that is generating the same response over and over and I should add that is the question uh, do you believe the respondent or the departed is in a better place and Nora is projecting her own beliefs and thoughts onto that question and causing wrong answers she's getting the same answer every time and that creates a problem for her job And so this is a thing that Nora is familiar with, both the form, weird form question and the fact that the questioning and the questioner and the way the answer is delivered can all change depending on the circumstances in play. And so I do think it isn't merely what she said. It's how she said it. It's how that approach was made. It's everything else that was said in that conversation. I think in terms of her answer and the man in the suits answer with no shoes, uh, that is apples to oranges. Like, even though it's the same question it's two very different scenarios and we see that that man was so desperate that he drove himself into the desert on the vw bug and set himself on fire josh is that going to be what nora does i mean we have a we have definitely a fire by the end of this episode in nora's realm but she's covered in water which is certainly the opposite element of fire and it's also going to be many decades before she sets herself on fire if she's going to do such a thing, because we know that she's at least going to be alive into into a little bit of old age. Assuming um, that, assuming, and, and I, 
I assume the same thing, but are there going to be people who don't assume it? I don't want to get the feedback. Like, assuming that there's not some sort of second dimension or, like, she goes through the box and ends up in an alternate world. Like, we are assuming that that is a time jump and that is future Nora. I'm I'm ready to have you know my assumptions make an ass out of you and me if we're wrong on that. Like I'm I'm not I'm not prepared to call that a second world or an alternate universe. I'm calling that Earth One until proven otherwise. Yeah, same uh, for me. And 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 it's just based on the fact that the show had a cataclysmic event happen for which there is no explanation. But I just don't think we're going to jump into this this uh, magical realism realm any more than we already are with what's Open happened Open to with it Kevin. if they can stick the landing. Open to it, as I am with everything it just on the seems show. seems unlikely. It, it seems, seems unlikely, unlikely but o- open to it. My heart is open to it. I think we should talk a little bit about what Kevin goes through in this episode because we really haven't talked about the fact that like he's seeing Evie Murphy in this episode. Um, and the, 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 the episode structurally really takes us for a ride with this thing. Um, you know, it, it you know it, it sets up a huge mystery and resolves it in this episode where you're you're thinking, holy crap, Evie holy Wayne, did, holy Wayne, Evie did survive the drone strike, and she's here in Australia. And that first scene when she's in the background of Good Day Melbourne, and she's got the sign up, and there's just like this low hum of the score and the way that Kevin is staring into the TV, which we saw that shot in the trailer for this week. And I don't think either of us would have predicted what it was he was looking at. Definitely um, not. It was so chilling, deeply, deeply, deeply chilling. And then it takes another really chilling turn when he follows this woman he believes to be Evie down the alley. And he's just in his mind, like assuming once again that I'm seeing dead people. And I don't know why I thought I finished this. I effing finished this. And then this guy comes out and says, Hey, is he bothering you? And he's like, Oh God, you're real. You're real. He sees you too. And then he sends the photo to Lori and is talking to her. And she even outright says, that's Evie. And in that moment, I don't know about you, but like I'm fully on for the ride at this point. And suddenly we're in the thick of a pulp thriller. Interesting. Where, you know, at this point, it's like, oh, my God. All right. So what is this? What is this building toward? Is there going to be some sort of like guilty remnant plan that's going on? And is something awful going to happen here in Australia? And this is not at all the direction I thought this show is going to take. And then, you know, after a few more minutes and a few more pushes and pulls and Kevin making a real scene at the library and just like really going from six to midnight where he's like, yeah, yeah, it's a book called Assassins. And if you could, uh, you know, if you could just like get uh, get that lady, that would be effing great. And like just dropping that hard F bomb like you did earlier, Antonio. It was like an immediate ding the RHAP bell and get the get the librarian secret service in in bounds for Kevin in this moment. And then he has that moment with this woman who ends up not being Evie when they're, you know, cornered together. And she's saying, I am Evie Murphy. I have no reason at any point at this point to suspect that it's anything other than what it's being presented as. And then it makes this turn of Kevin might be having a psychotic break again. And that's why Laurie is saying, like, remember what I told you last time with the Patty thing? You don't tell somebody who's having a psychotic break that they're having a psychotic break in case they're going to cause self-harm. By the way, take a look at that photo. It's not Evie. And then we see that it's not Evie. That whole thing was such a ride, Antonio. It was such a roller coaster for me at the very least. Well, that's fascinating because as soon as Kevin sent her the pick, I thought to myself, that is not a pick of Evie. That is a pick of someone else. And if you watch Amy Brenneman's performance on a rewatch, she has this incredible just half second uh, beat 
reaction where she there's a lot of uh, negative emotion that washes over her and I did not read that in the moment as negative emotion related to the fact that Evie Murphy is alive and has been hiding this from her family it just because started I, striking me though because like we, you got to imagine that we're, we're going to get many of these main characters if not all of them to Australia somehow you would think like if that's yeah. what the show is now like that would be such an easy way to get like John Murphy down here holy shit Evie is here you know like it just it all started to seemingly click in a way that I wasn't anticipating well fair enough my mind did not your mind was working a lot on a different level on a better level than mine because mine was simply she didn't react like with joy like oh my god that's Evie holy shit she was like yeah you're right like that is Evie like she was being very yeah, conciliatory just, or counseling I don't, they, I don't think that you would react with, with like immediate joy to something like that too. She, not, I didn't even read shock in her voice or her reaction I she read just, she looked she looked to me like she was chilled like she was unsettled okay. and All I right. think that that is definitely still there because Kevin is calling her and saying I saw Evie and what she is seeing is like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're snapping again yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. That's I ultimately, I mean, in, in the moment, I read it that way. I read it as like, and and I like at the time texted, uh, texted out like I think that uh, that picture is not of Evie. Like that was not something that. Who I, are you I, texting? Who is this? Who is just who a, is your, who's your yeah. secret leftovers texting partner? I, 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 this I text. Ma- I text you about the leftovers too. Like I text lots of people about okay. the leftovers. All right, I'm starting to feel a little less special. Are you jealous? A little bit. Okay, well, we have to fix this. Uh, okay. I don't want to get into any crazy white fella thinking here. Right. Uh, Josh, we never talk anymore. We never talk anymore. <laughs> Except for twice a week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, we week. never talk. We never talk. Yeah, three times this week. But yeah, I, I ultimately uh, was not as convinced. But your read is 100% on point. Like, I think that from a logical standpoint, from a it's standpoint cer- I, of... It's certainly what I think they're trying to make you feel. But I love the come to Jesus or come to Kevo moment of all of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Is I love that Lori eventually says, like, you're an adult. You have responsibilities. You up and left without telling anyone. And they make a big deal out of that, just like I did on this podcast when everyone was talking about how, well, Kevin and Jill, that's the last scene. And I said, Kevin would have to be crazy to leave Jarden behind. Like, he's got all these responsibilities, and it's the end coming up, and they're making such a big deal out of that. But the show is tracking. Maybe he is crazy. Yeah, the show is tracking that, right? Like, the show is tracking that this is the act of a really irresponsible person. And by the way, now that you're saying, like we got to find a way to get these other people to Australia stands to reason either Kevin or Nora could contact. Uh, I mean, Lori knows that Kevin is there and in the middle of a psychotic break. If Lori reaches out to Nora and Nora's like F Kevin, I don't know where he went. He took his bag and he left. Uh, you could foresee a scenario where one or more of those people are like, we have to get to Australia and try to save his life. He's probably suicidal. Right. Like, yeah. And I mean, she was, she was telling Kevin, like, go to the hotel and call me. And he went to the yes. hotel and instead got into an epic breakup with his girlfriend and then got picked up by his his crazy dad and i guess a bomb went off too there was some sort of explosion apparently so i, I and, and yeah you kevin also, garvey can't go to hotels without the fire yeah, that's off, right that's right and and not for nothing too the last thing that kevin says to Lori is ask your husband about that shitty book he's writing about me um so there's a lot hanging in the air between Lori and john in this scene too that hasn't been resolved yet um, so there's still a lot of reasons to bring the gang down to Melbourne. Yes, when the gang goes to Melbourne, it's an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Charlie Kelly in the Leftovers uh, universe would be something I would be. He sees people that aren't there all the time. Uh, Charlie work in the International Assassin. Yes, and Pepe Silvia has been in play on every one of these podcasts. So that's (laughs) Carol. That's part of it. Yeah, is there a Carol in the universe? But no, I uh, I absolutely I'm fascinated by the actor who plays John Murphy. Well, look at that. There it is, Kevin Carroll. It's put together perfectly. Yeah, I don't know. There's something going on there, right? Because I think the issue at the hotel is related to the fire in their room. Like, that's why the hotel is having fire alarms and issues. The explosion, I think, might be something different. Like, because the airports are shut down and all the flights are grounded, like, that's two separate incidents. I don't think there was an explosion at the hotel that grounded flights. We didn't hear an explosion with our characters. We didn't see that. I think the emergency personnel at the hotel are there because of the fire in the Kevin and Nora room, the Durst room, uh, the Robert Durst room. And I think that what's happening at the airport and whatever's related to quote-unquote explosion and why Kevin can't get a cab, that's something entirely different. And it won't be related, I don't think, to anybody that we know coming to Australia if those characters are coming because I don't think that that's happening in the same moments. Like, we're, if we considered a timeline, like, this is some kind of separate explosion. Something separate happened in Melbourne, Australia that has grounded all the flights there, that there's no cabs, that there's none of that going on. There was some kind of explosion in the city. Uh, Kevin Sr. knows something about it. I have a feeling we're going to find out about it uh, relatively soon, as soon as we uh, encounter that that story or that angle again how do you feel about the two kevins now at the end of this episode being back with this woman who is a kevin murderer josh yeah no i love this i i I think that this is great this is forward momentum this is exactly what we want to see you know we devoted an entire episode last week to kevin senior that was a controversial decision for some people narratively uh for you and i i think you and i both liked it or at the very least we were reserving judgment to see let's see how this connects Well, we connected the two Kevins. These guys are now directly in each other's orbits, and we're going to see how that plays. Uh, Kevin Sr. seeming really happy to see Junior, and that's either an act because Sr., you know, thinks that he is still the lead character in this story and Junior is his subordinate and maybe has something that's like a little bit crooked that's going to be involving Junior. Or maybe Sr. really did have an epiphany at the end of last week's episode and did realize that he's the ancillary character in Junior's central story. Um, so I have no idea how that's going to play, but I'm just glad that those characters are together because now we're going to see the ball move forward in that direction. Which is Yeah, cool. it's fascinating because I, if I recall correctly, correctly uh senior said something to the effect of like the last thing i want is for him to be to australia like i feel like he said something to that effect last episode yeah he did he can't come here like so here we are and he's happy about it so something Uh, changed i don't know yeah something has changed now we don't really know ultimately the timeline of of those things like we assumed i think that uh that Kevin Kangaroo incident was happening contemporaneously with the incidents that were portrayed in the rest of that episode. But uh, we know that that was happening at the end of crazy white fella thinking like there was maybe one scene after that. Right. Uh, And it was the next morning. So we don't really know how far that ending is from 
the beginning of this episode. But what we do know is it's on the TV. Kevin Sr. has been missing for about a month. So maybe it's about a month later. And he's walking fine, I think, when he gets out of that van, right? Like, he looks like he's over the issues that he had with his ankle when he fell off the the roof and fell on poor Christopher. Well, he's Uh, not walking too far. And also, timeline-wise, when he picks up the phone and when he's waking up in Grace's house and he's talking to Matt, he's he's like, oh, we're just days away. So it can't have been that long. Fair enough. So I don't know, ultimately... I guess that if something happened, it was an epiphany style thing, right? Where- but one of the things that's great, though, is like, you know, th- this show that's always like, is, are you insane or are you miraculous? Like, are, are, you, are you seeing things that aren't really there? Or are you seeing something that only you can see and it's very much there? And we have Kevin following, you know, the white rabbit in the form of Evie when he sees her on Good Day Melbourne. And we find out later that that's not actually Evie. But by virtue of following that line, he goes on the screen and he's like barely on the show. Uh, you know, like if you watch that scene, he's Hilarious. like he's just in the background for like five, like not even five seconds. Right. It's what like are the odds they saw him? Right. Two like it's seconds. So slim. Exactly. But senior saw him. He must right. have been just like flipping through the channels or he was watching that exact segment and he saw his son. Listen, immediately. the man likes pancakes. All right. Like yes. he wanted to watch that pancake cooking. There segment. you go. There you go. So, you know, it, it just goes to show like there's you know every, everything connects it's it's really that that's that was really great i really loved that does that also mean he saw the segment about him being missing which was randomly thrown into that morning show like i thought that was odd <laughs> i thought that was odd too and I, not, I just not, wondered if it was kevin i wondered if that was kevin garvey like uh, imagining something or hallucinating i don't know how he would know uh, we didn't see that on screen if he would have yeah. found out uh, any of that but it, it read weird because the first thing that happens and callbacks to international assassin throughout anytime kevin goes to a hotel and there's one point where he's hanging up clothes and getting in the wardrobe there and he's also looking for a book called assassins yes he's looking for a book called assassins right like there are lots of things going he's calling down to the front desk like there are lots of things that are going on that are reminiscent of international assassin but he's playing with the remote and his tv won't work he's having tv problems which is something that happens in International Assassin, and as I said, it's right after he reads the book of Kevo and has that sort of spiritual moment while he's reading it, and then he looks up at the TV and he hears this thing about the other Kevins, and I thought to myself, is this real? Like, I'm already questioning whether or not what he's seeing is real, even in that moment, just like he is, and when he sees Evie on the TV, he whispers to the TV, like, can you hear me? Like, I was in his head thinking, like, is this even real? Is this something that's going on that's actually happening or not uh so i i thought like there's a chance that this isn't even real but it turns out it is real like kevin senior is there kevin senior saw junior on the tv as you said randomly happened happened to be flipping through or whatever saw him in the background and for what we could see was only there for a very brief time so we don't really know the i mean if you're looking like uh, kevin senior you're looking through that divine lens you're looking through the same lens that ended him at the foot of the cross where Grace's children's bodies were found. Like, that seems like too abnormal a coincidence to ignore. And what are the odds? If he's watching that for five seconds, he sees his son randomly pop up there. That has to seem like divine intervention to him. Speaking of uh, abnormal coincidences that are that are too coincidental to ignore... Uh, and we, we, how often do we shade this show? Like, how often do we knock this show? But if Kevin Garvey is missing and is wanted, and if you see a Kevin Garvey call the authorities, no one's raising any kind of alarms when another Kevin Garvey comes to Melbourne, Australia. Like, that's ne- no one's raising the flag there, Antonio. 
Bureaucracy, my friend. Bureaucracy. Really? Like Red no tape. One, no one's like, ah, oh, well, you have the exact same name as this person who is uh, on the want list. And that we've seen on TV and that we've heard about, like, who's out there in the public zeitgeist as a thing. Not going to yeah. ding the show too hard for it because this show is doing so many things so right. But, like, I did think about that. I was like, ah, you know, that, like, you would think that, like, you would have heard something about this. Ding is one of the options with Mary Kill, as we're Indeed. well aware. That's and correct. And Mary uh, is just does not seem to be in play with Kevin and Nora. They're in a quote-unquote committed relationship. No, and Mary married. has left Jarden as well. And Mary has also left Jarden. Uh, and the killing part is interesting because Kevin is now international. He's gone international. And our great He's friend got assassins Colin, on the mind. Our great friend Colin Stone asked me, who do, I, who do I think that Kevin is going to kill in Australia to fulfill the prophecy of becoming an international assassin? I think I know and who I you're texting now. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, my question is, like, is it, is it himself? Like, yeah. are we? is Kevin going to get there? Is is Senior the salvation for Junior? It doesn't seem, when we say any port in a storm, you don't want a crazy port. Like, that's not the port you want to land in. Senior is going to inflate all the grandiose ideas that Junior has. He's going to play negative in terms of that. We have seen Junior when Senior is off the rails. We've seen them sane together in the Garveys at their best. We haven't really seen them crazy together josh no we haven't i get the sense that we're gonna yeah sure seems like it's it seems like it's about to happen seems like it's about to happen uh well before we dive into that we are gonna dive even deeper into this episode later in the week we didn't even get into talking about nora doing like the world's worst babysitting job uh we haven't talked about the fact that marklin baker has apparently gone through good for you mark very happy for you r.i.p mlb i did not realize his last name was hyphenated i thought it's like i thought it was a three name scenario like a john wilkes boot uh, like a and, don't trust him scenario because he's got three names. Yeah, like one of those things. And it tur- they were like, Mr. Lynn Baker. I'm like, why are they saying his middle name? And yeah. I did not realize it was a hyphenated thing. That's going to get so confusing in the years to come. But that's in another the, matter. <laughs> that's another matter altogether. So there's a lot that we didn't get to talk hey, to. Let me, let me ask you qu- two. Let me do three quick hits. Three quick hits. Uh, first of all, we had a doctor named Bernard. I thought Bernard was a dentist. Uh, but second, um, what about the credits? They're now pretty much officially, I think, mission statements on the episodes. Uh, do you feel okay with this? Is it better to watch the credits after the episode? Or do you like the precursor? Like, this episode very clearly started with a song basically saying, love is over. Like, it's ending. So it's very clear, I think, from the credits. Last week was Personal Jesus. Uh, the week before that, we I mean, it was Perfect Strangers. We've had all these on point episode titles how do you feel about a show that is essentially declaring its mission statement episode by episode rather than quote unquote let the mystery be for a whole season totally good with it because you have to be omniscient to know exactly what it means until after you've watched the episode like maybe it can give you kind of like a like an emotional vibe of like what to expect from this episode emotionally but you're not going to know plot wise what's going on just by a song unless you are like a super powerful clairvoyant individual Uh, I'm totally good with it I think it's cool I think it's something that gains resonance when you go back and watch it after having watched the episode already and it's a mood setter totally totally fine with it yeah, I think it's an interesting trend for television. I, I don't know about the licensing and how much this cost. They said that they did this because they didn't want to do a whole new credit sequence because they didn't have the money and the budget. I can't believe licensing all these songs is cheaper than making credit sequence. Man, I got to get in that credit sequence game, Josh, because uh, it seems like the money is there instead of making the music. Uh, I, I will say second follow up here. Um, Nora said she had an IUD. Uh, so it is very clear, I think, that 
She doesn't want to have a kid. And that is something that I'm not sure we were clear about. The Lily thing, maybe she was okay with that because it was someone else's child. And she doesn't, she doesn't think that someone else's child can be taken from her. Was that your read on that? I don't know. I haven't thought that one through too much. I'm interested in people's thoughts on the feedback show on that because we didn't really know that about the situation. It's really not germane to uh, the the entire discussion, but I think it's very relevant to her personality and character. Uh, she loved Lily. It was a major thing in her life. The first thing she brings up to Kevin when they have their big blowout is, like, why didn't you stop me? Right. Why didn't you stop me from giving her away? This is a thing that she's been carrying around with her, and she blames Kevin for not looking looking out for her when she was at a weak moment but she also has an IUD like if she wanted a baby she could get a device removed like I'm not 100% sure I think it comes down to the fact that she maybe feels like she is cursed and she's carrying around that with her through all these decisions and then finally I'm just look I'm just clearing my notes out and I, I think the final thing in my notes here my read at the time was the reason they didn't take Nora is because she wanted to go if you'll recall they went to great lengths with Mr. MLB to make it clear that these weren't suicidal people, that these were people of sound mind and sound body who were making their decision free of any encumbrances and not because they were trying to kill themselves. Uh, assisted suicide is, even in its like end-of-life stages, a very touchy topic, let alone healthy, intelligent people choosing to vaporize themselves because they think it might lead them to the other side. So I read that the reason they didn't take her is because she was, pro she was whether she realized it or not, manifesting so clearly that she wanted to go. That's a really good point. Uh, I think that the, they're of sound mind and body. is, a, is a, I mean, she's certainly of sound body. Uh, her heart was calm, and it seems like she passed the physical, uh, but with flying colors. Yeah, um, even though that dentist was, D D Dentist Bernard was examining her. Dr. Bernard, yeah. We don't trust these HBO Bernards. I think that, uh, that that's, certainly, that's certainly a possibility, that it's just like, I don't know, you don't seem to be all together here. It doesn't seem like you really have your affairs in order, that you've really, really thought this one through. Well, keep in mind the last guy that we feel like they might have rejected freaking set himself on fire. Right. Yeah. Like so maybe they're rejecting people because they sense that not that they have cold feet, but that they have warm feet like yeah. they're really into it. Is that the opposite of cold feet? I don't. How know. do you say cold feet? <laughs> but yeah, like ultimately that was my read on it. And I think the, the clear thing here is that just like Kevin may be unaware, Kevin may be unaware of the way he's presenting to the people around him. I think Nora maybe is not aware that uh, she's presenting so vulnerable and so broken because I think she clearly tries to project and present differently. And it seems to me that these people are reading something entirely different on her. That was at least my initial read. I'm not sure we'll ever get an answer. Let's close this podcast, Josh. Do you need to see the box people again? Are you done with the box? Does that need to be? Is that it for you? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, Nora does not seem to be done. Right? No, she does not. You know, but so, who so knows I, how the, the whole conversation with Kevin may have broken her. Right, right. I don't know. My, my feeling would be that Nora's, Nora's thing this season is like chasing that down, whether it's because she thinks it's a fraud or because she needs it. So I don't think she's done. I don't think that this is enough to deter her from that search. Um, whether or not I need it, I'm I'm trying to stop short of like needing things from this show anymore. Like I, I really I really do want to try and get out of that game. I'm I'm down with where the show takes us, and I'm open to it. Um, but my 
you know, rather than what I, what I need, what I'd predict is that we're not done with it. I think that the show is interested in it. I think that the show, uh, and certainly Nora is interested in it, and they've really set this up. They've put a lot of work into the machine as an idea. I think to just, like, wrap it up here, why else would Nora, you know, still be in Australia, you know, several decades down the line? Like, there's more business to be had here, and I think it's through that. It's fascinating because she does call brevity uh, from the hotel and she tries to get him on the line. And so that's that's after everything happens. And so on a nominal level or on a surface level, she does seem interested in taking these people down. But I also feel like maybe she's really interested in the possibility that it's true. And I think that's the thing that Kevin is carrying around with him about Kevinism, too, is that he in his truest form maybe is the guy who looks at karaoke and I, I don't, I don't remember. And I really apologize. One of our listeners brilliantly observed like that was their favorite and truest form of Kevin. When Kevin's singing karaoke in the hotel and saying, this is stupid. That's also Alex Coons. That's Alex Coons. Alex Coons. Great guy. King uh, of the ring. Great guy. King of the ring. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and, and probably uh, maybe the better AK of the two. I'm just kidding. Alex Kidwell. Just wow. Kidding. Oh my <laughs> just God. Kidding. I forget who has the power to, to, uh, to make us sound really bad. Yikes. Oh Shout out God. to Alex Kidwell. Uh, it's just shading our producer. I'm not shading anyone. This is good. We're good. Uh, no, but ultimately, yeah, Alex Coons made the great observation that that was his ideal Kevin, that that was Kevin in his truest form. Like this is stupid about the karaoke. And I think that is true about Kevin, but Kevin is evolving like we don't we haven't seen Kevin in his final form yet because of all the things that have happened to Kevin. He is on a spiritual journey or quest because of all these things. And he has a lot of people pushing him in a lot of different directions. And I think his view ultimately has been this is stupid. It's not real. This isn't a thing. But maybe he's more open to it. And I think that that if he and Nora would just sit down and really talk, they'd find they have a shitload in common, man. Like they have a lot in common and that they both have said like this is stupid. It's not real. I'm not a lens. I'm not Asriel. Uh, I'm not all of these things. But maybe I'm, I'm worried there is a little bit of truth to it. And Kevin is on the same level. Like if they could only sit down and hash that out and maybe josh maybe that's how we get to uh future nora finding future kevin again and that may be a happier ending uh, if you're assuming it, it might be present in the show maybe we get there because they both realize that they're both on a journey they're both on a quest neither has the answers that it should be about searching for those answers together and not about rejecting premises outright and creating barriers between each other and so maybe you're right maybe there is a way to find a happy ending for this show and maybe that's a good happy ending for this podcast i really think so uh i i really think that that's somewhere in the neighborhood of where we're going because I think like the big criticisms and certainly if you go back and you listen to our leftovers podcasts from the jump like our main critique of the show was like a little bit of levity please like shine some light on the thing like George levity you know George George levity (laughs) yeah just like a little bit of George levity here and there like stop being so dark we get that this is a really bleak world and a really bleak thing that happened but you have to be able to find some light. And the strength of The Leftovers, once The Leftovers really took a turn and became such a good show, I think is when they realized that. I think there was like a self-reflection period of like, oh yeah, we really do need to find some humanity here and not just pure grief. Like we need to really explore the three-dimensionality of things. So I think to, to end with these two characters in such a bad way would be very season one, episode one. Uh, to to really end the show with this 
you know, big blow up between the two of these characters being like the the final like tonal note for Kevin and Nora would be so dark and really I feel like out of touch with where the leftovers went uh, and where the leftovers has been and the and the territory where it really has excelled. So I, I call me an optimist or whatever. Like I, I really do think that that's going to be the direction that we go in. And if it's not, then I am prepared to be very heartbroken. Uh, yeah, or I, I suppose I, I'm unprepared to be heartbroken. No, will, yeah, I, really, man. You gotta. You gotta I yeah. will be heartbroken. I will be. Oh upset. man, I might yeah. have to uh, be wherever you are when the finale occurs. So there's no texting, and I can just hold you uh, yes. while we while we shepherd each other. Like like we were like I don't know like we were like we were experiencing something uh, that that I needed to shepherd you through. Uh, I don't know. I'm worried about you, Josh. Like I'm worried you're gonna end, have your heart broken. Like it's the end of Deep Impact, and uh, I'm Teo Leone, and you are my father, and we are embracing each other as the tidal wave comes and grabs us both. Yes, that's spoiler exactly what alert for of. the ending of Deep Impact. Cannot believe you spoiled Deep Impact. It's been a, it's been a while. You know, I feel like you it's know you didn't get. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry to have uh, left that stained on this uh, podcast as we are closing out here. Uh, anything else, Antonio, or can we save it for our feedback show later in the week? Speaking of music before the feedback show or just in general, it, if you haven't seen the Take On Me literal video version, Take On Me, present in this episode in three different forms, uh, piano, uh, weird horns chorus version, and uh, the original version. If you haven't seen the oh, if you haven't seen the original version of Take On Me, the video you should watch it but the literal video where the person sings the lyrics to what's happening in the video just google take on me literal video version you get a uh, hopefully you'll get a pretty good laugh out of that i laughed at it a lot uh one of my favorite original like one of my favorite videos ever on the internet to be perfectly honest with you all right take on me literal version and uh that's something that you guys should check out i'm yes. sure we'll do a, a real deep dive into that as no, we, but uh, I mean, I, I think uh, I think that there's a lot to be mined, uh, and I'm sure people are already probably mining it on Reddit or other places. There's a lot to be mined in that the the take on me video itself is about a dude kind of uh, in a comic book stuck in this world and a woman going into the comic and entering, crossing his world and being apart and all these things. Can they be together? There are a lot of themes. If people want us to get into that video, send us the feedback. How can they do that, Josh? They can do that in a variety of ways. You Aren't can you hit sing us up. everything in the West Coast? Yes, yes, that's the way to do it. Sing us your feedback. No, go to postshowrecaps.com <laughs> slash feedback is our feedback form. Our email address is leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. I am at Round Howard. Hashtag Trolley Wayne, I feel like, is the way we got to go. Yes, although that could be like Trolley Wayne, which would be something different entirely, like Thomas the Tank Engine. I also liked George Levity as, a, <laughs> as an 11th hour hashtag. Either one of those will work. We'll be back later in the week. Look for that final podcast this week around Friday, I would bet. Uh, so a little bit later this week than we normally get. Uh, we'll talk about all things Kevin and Nora, everything that we missed from this episode. It's, we'll try to get into that as well. Yeah, it's the halfway mark. So let's take stock. Send us anything you have. Thoughts about the rest of the season. Thoughts about this season as a whole so far. I'd like to know what people are expecting from this final uh, stretch of episodes. Like, what do you need now that we've seen four and now that we are basically all but four episodes done with The Leftovers, what do you need out of these next four? Like, where are they going to take you? I'm very curious as to what people uh, are expecting here. I wonder if there's anyone who's listening to this who is still expecting them to answer what happened with the departure. I sure hope not, but I feel like there might be some people in the audience who are expecting that. Spoiler alert, they're not going to answer that. You know, what if they do, though? What uh, if they do? That would be great. That would be a really, you know, that would be, that'd be a surprise slam dunk. But uh, I don't expect it. <laughs> 
surprise slam dunk would be a good hashtag too. Yeah, All right. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but I would love to hear that. I would love to hear what your expectations are. Feel free to send ruminations, thoughts, comments on the season as a whole, on where we are. Let's take stock. We're halfway through, so we can uh, we can get in and dig, dig a little deeper this week. All right. So that's our that's our leftover feedback show coming up later this week. Uh, also on post show recaps this week, Antonio and Rob Sesternino have been covering the great Better Call Saul season three, which I've been enjoying from a distance quite a bit. And I'm going to be stepping into the ring with you later this week, Antonio. Yes, Rob departed. Suddenly. <laughs> Suddenly departed for he departed Toronto. For, for Toronto. I will be joining him shortly, but before I go to Canada, I will be joining you on the Better Call Saul podcast to talk about where are we up to? Episode five this week? Episode five, yeah. And really, I think we're going to... There's a good chance we're going to get into some heavy business on Better Call Saul this week. Not that we haven't been doing that already. This season's been great. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you on that show, Josh. And I'm, I'm sure we won't be able to get through that podcast without making several references to The Leftovers. I'm going to try really hard not to, but I'm not going to succeed. Just I'm a gonna, warning. I'm just going to troll Wayne you the entire time. I think that's where we're going to go. All right, so if you're into Better Call Saul, I'll be on that podcast later this week. We will have another Leftovers podcast for you this week. And then a week from tonight, we will be back for episode five past the halfway mark at that point uh the name of that episode by the way do you have that in front of you antonio <laughs> is it called uh, from the uh, from the next time on it should look like it would be called i'm on a boat uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> never thought i'd be on a boat uh i never Perhaps thought i would one be on a boat and two helicopters I, I think it looks like <laughs> it looks like this one's going to be called uh fear the walking leftovers is that fear right the walking leftovers it's called it's a matt 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 world so i wonder who this episode is going to be based around <laughs> probably mary uh yeah it's a mad 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 world a great classic film if you haven't seen it they remade it uh somewhat and called it rat race with all modern people but it is a who's whom or who's who of old hollywood in it's a mad 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 weird world it's a uh, great caper comedy about people looking for treasure and going on the run and going all over the country and the world trying to find all these things cameos throughout so i would expect it's going to be some uh, some some true insanity on next episode and insanity by the leftover standards is something I'm really curious about for sure. Very curious about that. So keep checking back with Post Show Recaps for all of that and more. The links again, postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes, postshowrecaps.com slash feed slash leftovers. We will be back with more episodes later this week. Antonio, take care. Good day, Josh. Good day, Antonio. so blind that I couldn't see what was right in front of me I wish I was wrong I wish that you were right here lying in arms deep down inside I got to face the truth you're not coming home this life Over this love is over. God knows I tried everything I could to keep you satisfied, 
Yeah, my bills is the part you play. So some kind of game, just like a child. Just like a child, you got to have your way. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. There's nothing left to say. This life. Love is over. This love is over. 